Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Claire McKenna. You're listening to Changemakers, the podcast series talking to people at the forefront of change. But you should never underestimate the power of a conversation. It can reframe the way we think, the information we go on to seek and the conversations we go on to have. This is all part of the change process. My guest today is Tammy Darcy, one very special lady. She is founder and CEO of The Shona Project, a multi-award winning non-profit organisation aimed at providing help, guidance and education to young Irish women on issues such as anxiety and depression, bullying, stress, relationships, social media and body image. The Shona Project has an online community at shona.ie. They run school workshops and they're governed by professional doctors, counsellors and education providers. They also hold the Shine Festival every year, featuring a host of empowering female speakers. The mission at Shona is that Irish girls need to be empowered and educated to realise their full potential and become tomorrow's change makers. They've impacted 20,000 girls through their school workshops and events, 30,000 through their survival handbook, 300,000 through their website, 350,000 through social media views every month. And this is growing. Tammy has won multiple awards and was named Red Cross Humanitarian of the Year in 2021. In the same year, she also released her book, You've Got This, The Ultimate Girl Guide to Embracing Your Individuality, Loving Yourself and Learning to Truly Shine in Your Teens and Beyond. In this interview, you will hear Tammy's personal story, how tragedy that befell her sister Shona and a struggle through Tammy's own teens inspired her to begin on her mission to help girls believe in themselves so they can become the women they are meant to be. So Tammy Darcy, you're very welcome to Changemakers. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Can we go back, as I always do, to life before and what forms a person to become a change maker in any way. So what were you like as a girl? What was life like for you growing up? Um, okay, that's a very good question. Um, I was always very self-assured as a small kid. You know, I was always full of confidence, very competitive. You know, like I, everything was a race. Everything was, um, you know, I'm better than her or I'm faster than her or I'm smarter I was just you know a real overachiever in lots of different ways like straight A's in school played every sport you can think about um very very social very self-assured and had no doubt in my mind that I could do literally anything I put my mind to and, and multiple things like you know I was going to play soccer for Ireland I was going to be a writer I've always wanted to be a writer ever since I was little um you know any I was going to solve all the world the world's problems before breakfast you know and I, I was um I don't know where I came from <laughs> for such a young girl from the middle of nowhere in County Waterford to just be like so sure of her own capability and it's incredible that all of those attributes have stood to you and what you currently do now you don't actually play for Ireland we'll have to give people that spoiler no. alert but you not are not yet exactly <laughs> it's still on the pipeline you are hugely successful at what you do and you're really motivated and really charged with self-belief and we'll get into that in in a moment mm. but it didn't go down well with everyone you were bullied at school do you think it was that self-assurance or was it the straight A's or, or what was it I don't know what it was I still don't really understand it I mean when you're bullied in school you just think there's something wrong with you you know that people don't like you so obviously there's something that you need to fix and your immediate response to that is to be like I need to change who I am to fit in this is such a detrimental thing for for young people because you turn yourself into so many versions of 
you know who you once were um that you don't even know who you are anymore you know I was like if I was quieter or cooler or prettier or you know, like better at sports or less smart or less confident or got a perm or you know what I mean all of those things that we try and do to try and just fit in uh, w- with everybody else um and I think it really knocks those things that make us unique as kids or make us I mean every child is unique and special but um I really and I still think about it a lot and be like you know even now when I meet girls who are being bullied and I just it doesn't make sense to me I'm like this is such a beautiful girl like why would somebody treat her this way and obviously now you know I'm I I know that it's it's to do with themselves and their own insecurities and how you reflect back those insecurities on them and anger and frustration and sadness that they have so it's a very complex question but certainly at that time to have been a girl with so much self-confidence and to be so self-aware to end up being a girl who was so completely lost um it's just an awful thing and I'm glad I've got most of it back now but there's so many people that don't and is it partly to do with the school system because we do set up a hierarchy of, of what is successful and within that we get tribes you've got the cool gang you've got the and I'm just using the terms that around when I was in school because you make sense of it as you grow older and the people that would have been getting the all A's that might have been called the nerds they're the ones that I now see round and about they're the ones with the bigger houses the bigger cars the bigger careers and in the end you're like hang on a second sure that was just as cool as anything else but there is a system isn't there a grading system that can be hard for people to find where they belong and I th- like I think it's almost seen as a rite of passage you know we struggled in school so you know it's just part of growing up but if you think about it, if any of us worked in an environment that exists in so many schools you know, we wouldn't stand for it. There's like I've I know girls that have panic attacks at the school every single day because they can't go in. I know school. I know girls who um, have lost complete trust in other women um, who are completely isolated, who are depressed, who are anxious because of their experience in schools. And it's I, I believe it's worse than it was when we were in school because it's not just in schools. It trickles into, you know, online and and they have a lot more freedom now than, than we used to and more access to more people and more information so it's certainly magnified um, and I hate to be negative when I talk about girls and young women because I think they're so special and unique and have so much potential but the reality of it is is that that there's a culture that exists in school and it's inherited so every new year the first years go in and the second years are like this is how we behave here so it's nigh on impossible to change and I also have an issue with single sex schools I think that there's a certainly a level of um anxiety or or an energy that exists in single sex girls schools that it's just you know um any fears or issues are just magnified and take legs and become bigger than they potentially need to be so i think there's a lot of a lot of work to be done it's a very complex issue and it's not one that's going to be solved today or tomorrow i think and i hope the conversation is changing i think i mentioned to you before when we were setting this interview up my mom asked my own kids who were in primary school and who's the most popular person in your class and they actually didn't know what she was talking about now they're eight and eleven so it's not like they couldn't understand the concept there just isn't that in their school whatever ethos they send out everybody gets on with everybody and maybe it's just one particular special school it's educate together so it's a very new modern way of teaching um and all the staffing body are are very young but I kind of thought it was strange in my son's year that everybody Mm. got on there were no real I mean obviously there's friends and there's people who go on more play dates than others but when it happened again in my daughter's class I thought no that's the message that comes from the school yeah I definitely think primary schools have become a lot more they feel like more of a community certainly in the last 10 years like um I when my youngest was in primary school he was talking about his best friend Tom who has autism brain you know and Tom was one of the lads and they didn't arrange birthday parties unless Tom was comfortable there you know and there was a another child in his class that um 
was non-binary from a very young age and you know they were just so accepting of people as they are so I definitely think that that's been instilled now from primary age up but I do think that once they come into secondary school and specifically second year it tends to revert because it's just and I think COVID has just really brought young people back um, in terms of their development and their ability to deal with stress and I think it is the ability to deal with stress that then affects their behaviour and how they lash out and how they deal with that and how they treat each other so there's just uh, in, in terms of secondary school if I'm honest I think we've gone backwards and I think it's potentially worse than it ever was before I hate, hate to say it well we'll get into how you're trying to make a difference with your workshops with the mm. Shona project but talk to me about your, your family then you have Shona your sister you also have a brother and Mm -hmm. how did you all get on as kids so we lived in a very rural area um passage eastern county waterford um there's three of us um shown as a year just over a year older than me and sean is three years younger than us and we grew up in a very um close-knit family so we'd lots of aunts and uncles and cousins nearby and they would have been our social circle we didn't really hang out with people outside of that we'd lots of cousins our own age so i would have had like four girls within a year year and a half of me and we were the best friends so all the birthday parties were cousins birthday parties um which was lovely and you know we grew up by the sea so my father would have been would have had a fishing boat and we would have swam and you know really it was a really lovely childhood to have very protected not really aware of anything that went on in the world apart from the Eurovision which was my my religion the Eurovision every year was like the one time I engaged with anything outside of my own house um and I took Eurovision very very seriously um so you know we played sport and mom and dad were both at home my dad was working my mom was at home all the time um so I have a lot to be grateful for in terms of those initial few years but um I think that's why the age 14 probably was so tough on me because I just assumed that everything would always be wonderful and lovely and things would never change and there was three things that happened in in a very short space of time when I was 14 in second year and the first one was um Shona getting sick so um she was diagnosed with an acquired brain injury given six months to live and everything just fell apart from there so Shona was like used to share a bedroom she was the first face that I saw every day she was the one that taught me everything you know from like talking to boys and periods and how to like rob dad's razor to shave your legs (laughs) you know (laughs) don't tell people that goes on oh my gosh yeah um and like you know she she would have been like my touchstone for all of those things and she was in the same school as me she was a year ahead of me so we used to get the bus home together um my younger brother was still in primary school at the time um so she was you know suddenly she had this tumor and everything became about her care rightly so and trying to save her life because they told us she had less than a year to live um and what would have happened in the lead up to that diagnosis how did it start to transpire that something wasn't wasn't right with Shona's health well my parents would have been aware of a lot sooner than I would like certainly she started struggling at school struggling with her memory her balance small things like that um and then it got kind of bad kind of quick so we were out walking one day and she sat down and she said I can't walk and she literally couldn't walk anymore so I had to go and get my dad to carry her home and that was the first time I really became aware now I know that they were looking at it and dealing with it and having you know doctor's appointments and things like that coming up to it um and then soon after that her one of her eyes like literally turned inwards um obviously from from the brain tumor and you know never went back out again so and I have kind of blurry memories of that time like certain specific days or certain specific conversations but no clue about how they all merged together and the timeline and things like that I was obviously very confused by the whole thing and you know because my parents and my family were so focused on Shona which they should you know quite rightly it's very stressful for them as well but I was kind of left to my own devices you know and um just trying to figure it out so didn't really understand it and knew they weren't telling me everything and then you know in some ways being told more than I probably was able to 
comprehend or to, to deal with and then left to deal with that stress by myself um, and even just practical things like her bed being empty all of a sudden and her not being there anymore so she had a surgery which saved her life and then she spent a long time in the rehabilitation hospital in, in Dunleary um, and then she lived independent semi-independently for a while but you know every couple of years her her condition would just worsen all of a sudden she'd get a chest infection or something that would set her back and since she was in her early 20s she lived in full-time nursing care so she actually lives in in a home for the elderly which is the only place in Ireland that can address her physical and her mental disabilities at the same time um so even just the practical management of her care was kind of dealt with but maybe the emotional side of things not so much because 14 is such a bridging age almost because mm. you're old enough to be told there's dinner there to throw in the microwave you can dress yourself you can get yourself to and from school and and, and it'd be trusted that you'll remain safe but you've st- you're still only a hop skipping away from being a, a child and you were mm. still going through all that and I know your parents had separated at that time as well so they were trying to deal with yeah that and Shona with one parent in a different house so there must have been a lot of time you were left on your own or to your own devices yeah so my parents split up and you know not to get into that whole situation but it it was messy it was very very messy and um very traumatic for everybody concerned which you know is not an unusual situation lots of kids go through that um but I would have lived with this parent for a certain amount of time and then that parent and then we would have been split up and then there would have been the every other second weekend thing so like the best way that I can describe it is that the bubble just burst and I often say to adults who are struggling to understand that you know it's 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 like you're trying to find your feet but the ground underneath you is constantly moving you know like there's nothing solid there's nothing permanent things are changing all the time and your brain is not developed enough to it's like you're trying to catch on to something to stop from drowning in lots of different ways because there was shown as illness which was one thing then my parents separation so none of those relationships were the same as they'd always been and then in school I was being like horrendously bullied horrendously like um you know I was hiding in bathrooms during break times to get away from the bully and um like being physically threatened on a daily basis and felt completely isolated so I was just completely lost like it's the best way to describe it and you know when I describe it that way it does sound very very traumatic and it was certainly very traumatic but the thing that bothers me is that it's not unusual it's um becoming more and more usual for young people girls and boys to be living under prolonged periods of intense stress at a time when they need security they need stability they need to know who they are and they need to have people that they can hold on to for for dear life so and I said earlier which you know probably wasn't the right way there's no reason for somebody to be bullied there's no change you should be making to your personality and by looking for a reason it's almost inferring that but they it is often said that someone who's vulnerable will be picked on like an easy target will be chosen so perhaps it wasn't your self-confidence and your abilities but it was that you were dealing with with quite a lot and that made you vulnerable yeah but I'll be very honest with you as well Claire and say that I bullied other people in school too you know and when I'm talking to girls in schools I do say that you know there's not think people are not black and white and I think a lot of bullies are being bullied themselves in other situations and I think what happens is when you don't know how to channel sadness and anger and frustration in positive ways that's when it comes out in those kind of behaviors like in lots of ways it's a cry for help it's a try it's a way to try and gain some level of control and when I think back there's one girl in particular that I know I bullied in school um and I cannot find a reason for it the best way that I can explain it is that she seemed happy and secure and it drove me mad and I just wanted the more happy and secure that she felt the more I felt like I needed to bring her down down to my level I'm trying to explain it as best that I can but I think I have that perspective which a lot of bullies do is being you know I wasn't completely innocent and just being bullied I was also acting out myself for all of those reasons so I think it's not excusable but it does explain it Mm. I think to a certain extent and you're doing it with hindsight now obviously at the time you didn't have that awareness it was just something that was happening but even as you're describing it there's something about power there, isn't it? And yeah. we're forgetting 
the power comes from within. We're looking for outside validation. We're looking outside to find our feet, whereas really it's about finding it within. Mm. And that's what you're all about spreading now. Yeah, I know. And like part of the story that I tell, the most powerful part is admitting that I did it myself. And there's a term that I really like, which is hurt people, hurt people. You know, like when you're when you're hurting happy people are irritating <laughs> you know it's the best way to describe it and um you know i i think that's why bullying is the scourge that it is um in that people are trying to regain some level of control and in many ways it's also a cry for help a subconscious cry for help i love that hurt people hurt people saying as well but the end of that is healed people heal people mm. and it's about getting to that point and some people need more support than others to get there and it's really important for us to acknowledge that so Shona when people hear that and hear that she's in care I mean even I in my mind pictured that you'd be able to go in and every now and then sit and and hold her hand but her illness makes her suffer quite a lot doesn't Mm. it that that you can't it's very hard for you and your family to to connect with her um yeah so this has been I suppose one of the hardest things for me in that um it's only in the last you know since I started the Shona project and and had to kind of revisit very painful situations that happened in the past and do my own work to make sense of that that I realized that from the age of 14 up until five years ago I was in grief that I didn't even know um because I had lost my sister in so many respects like there's so many amazing things that we should have been able to do together that were taken from both of us but to never have that acknowledged means it's just sitting in your brain all the time and you're not able to kind of process it or deal with it and then you have almost like um if I'm really honest a resentment towards the sister that's still there because she's not what you were promised and you're not able to have a relationship with her um, and then to try and have this new relationship with this new whole new person um, and be able to say goodbye to the older version. And that, I think, has had a huge effect on, on me over the years and something that I've only really been able to face and deal with now. The way that her illness is mentally and physically, she gets... Um, the best word I can use to describe it is dis- disturbed. She gets very upset. She hears voices in her head. She can get very aggressive. And her immediate family are the ones that seem to trigger that. So the last time that I went to see Shona, she got very, um, very upset, very aggressive and lashed out and punched one of the nurses that was trying to calm her down. And I kind of realized that I'm not helping myself or her by trying to force these these visits. I mean, she lives two and a half hours away from me. I often cry the whole way home after going to see her because it's up to see her upset and to see the people that are trying to care for her to try and um settle her. And um yeah, it's it's a weird one. Like in in many ways she's very much the person that she was before she got sick. So she'll still ask for the phone to call her home and still know the phone number. And she still, you know, can speak German. She was very good at German before she got sick and she can still speak German. And she still um, has some very clear memories, but 25 years since could have been a minute or 10 years or 25 years. She has no concept of anything since. It's very, very hard to explain, but it's not, um, you know, being able to go and see somebody who's ill and to be gentle and to have some sort of connection and to be in a position to care for her. We've basically had to just let the people that care for her do their job and just do as as best we can. I mean, my mother goes to see her obviously constantly um she's up and down the road to see her and she's her whole life has been about caring for Shona ever since she got sick at that age which has been obviously horrible for her too um so it's look it's hard to describe and and explain the relationship that we still have but certainly um it has affected all of us in ways that we're only now realizing I think yeah it's so tough and you wonder if somewhere does the anger come from not being able to make sense of these people she she loves that she knows but something obviously the, the brain injury mm. and the illness is what's getting in the way so tough before, for all involved before she got very sick she had a lot of anger towards me and I think it was because she got sick and I didn't and I would have had a lot of survivor guilt about the fact that she got sick and I didn't so even before she she got mentally quite ill um there was an issue there you know um a lot of anger there on both of our parts and a lot of not necessarily I don't remember us ever having 
a conversation about her illness, which is weird because she was quite well at the time. Um, so, you know, there's all those levels as well of why did she get sick and now I should constantly make up for that forever. And, you know, I, I gave a speech at my, my brother's wedding and um, a couple of years ago and said that I've always felt like I need to be double the sister for him you know and very protective of him because there's only the two of us you know left so it affects it affects everything Claire you know even how you feel about the world how how I feel about my own family and how I parent now and my own relationships like it's it has you know for something that I pushed aside for 25 years it has defined everything about who I am now and it's only in the last couple of years that I've been able to turn it into something really positive which has been so healing for all of us I have to say we're very lucky how did you navigate your teens then with all this going on? Not well. Um, straight A's to fails, attitude, ducking off school, smoking, drinking. I moved into my own place at 16. Um, my brother moved in with me um, the following year. Bad relationships, single parent at 18, didn't even apply to college. Um, no self-esteem, no self-respect, uh, no motivation, no ambition, like pretty much... <laughs> as damaged as you can get and and stayed there for a long time you know I I didn't trust anybody so I was you know that really isolated um don't trust people will never ask for help um bad attitude kind of a teen so what was the turning point then what led from that almost rock bottom to 2016 when you set up the the Shona project um, it was a it was a slow process. Um, I, like I wouldn't recommend teen pregnancy, but I am a very stubborn person. And when I had my son at 18, I was just determined that nobody would ever say he was disadvantaged because I was his mother. So I had a point to prove, which is something <laughs> kind of a running theme with me. Um, and I wanted him. I was kind of motivated to make his life better in a way that I wasn't motive, I didn't value my own life. I, I think I valued his life. So not recommending teen pregnancy, but certainly it motivated me to get myself together. And I think that smart, capable girl was under there, not buried as deep as I thought it was. Um, always had a really strong work ethic. So uh, when I was 25, I went back to college at night and remembered how much I loved learning, like that while school had been a very, negative experience that learning was only one element of that and um, went back to college and then you know kept learning did did masters kept studying and then just kind of eventually remembered who I was I met somebody when my son was was a year old and we're married now and have a family there's we've got two other kids um and constantly pushing constantly learning a lot of therapy <laughs> um, and a lot of really hard conversations and um, looking at myself and what my place in the world is. So, you know, now I'm very, very secure, very happy, very aware of who I am. But getting there took took a while. And then I was um, I used to coach girls soccer um, and I saw when I was coaching girls soccer so many girls that would come to training and I could just tell they felt the same way that I felt for various reasons you know that they were lacking in confidence I noticed that you coach girls and boys very differently to bring the best out of them because girls will always internalize and blame themselves every time anything doesn't work um and I just thought like there are so many women that they survive their teenage years but they never achieve their potential and their whole life becomes about caring for others and being tied to their children their husbands and they lose their sense of identity so even though we survive it and we're okay we're not what we could be and I think that damage is done to so many of us during our teenage years and then that's when I started formulating the idea for the Shona project but I think it was in my head for about five years before I even said it out loud because it's so exposing and I was like if it was that good an idea somebody would have done it or there's better people to do it than me and what do I know um and it was only like years later that I mentioned it to my husband. He was like, you have to do this. Like, this is what you were born to do. And I said, OK, I'll give it a go. And now I'm still here. So you were doing the very thing that you're trying to fix. You were saying, no, I wouldn't be good enough. And no, that's not a yeah. great idea. Um, and, and I think you're right. And I think so many women 
apologize for themselves all the time or mm. hold themselves back and look in the mirror and aren't happy with what they see inside or outside and of course that holds people back oh definitely and I mean you know I'm very confident in the work that I do now but I still don't have the answers and I think when I was starting I thought okay you have to be super qualified you should have a psychology degree a marketing degree a business degree you know you have to have all the answers before you even start and I quickly realized that you just need to surround yourself with people who have the same vision as you do who have those answers that you're never going to get there and also I just thought you know I found this thing really crippling you know there's better people to do it than you so wait and let them do it and I spoke to somebody I really respect about it one time and he said Tammy there are better people than you to do it but they're not doing it you're doing it and you can only do your best and that just completely freed me in terms of not expecting to be perfect at it and maybe giving myself permission to learn on my feet as I go and like all of this is like reflected back into what I want young women to understand about themselves as well is that we'll never get it right we'll never get it perfect but I think if you're self-aware and authentic and you are driven by the impact that you want to create on the people around you and by the world um you'll get it right more often than you get it wrong you know and surrounding yourself with people and acknowledging that you'll never be able to do it by yourself that you need to create a community a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And create a safe space for people to have that self-reflection and find that power in themselves and start those conversations. That's more powerful, I think, than the answers, even though a lot of those experts you spoke of or those voices that you spoke of will come in and help. Ultimately, it comes from within. So what is the mission statement of the Shona Project and when did you decide to attach your sister's name to it? Um, so our mission is to educate, empower and inspire today's Irish girls to become tomorrow's strong, confident and curious young women. And that's very simple. How we do that, you know, is is a longer answer. Um, and if you if, even with the word curious, I very specifically put that word in because I want girls. I don't want to tell girls how what it means to be a girl. I want them to think about that, what that means to them and to critically analyse the messages that we get from the world about what it means to be a woman and what's expected from women and whether it's okay to be treated this way and whether we need we need to like be able to say, you know, this is not all right and to challenge it in that way. So that's a really purposeful word that I put in there. Um, it was always like, the, I don't think I ever even made a decision to call it the Shona Project. I think it was just always going to be that way. I, for me, um, I feel like we're doing it together you know that as sisters we're creating this change and you know it is ultimately about a sisterhood and women supporting other women so it just made complete sense to me intuitively I don't even know whether the Shona project came from this impact I wanted to create or whether it was the other way around I, I don't know it was just always there um, and I think what it has done is to be able to like one of the things that always bothered me is that people would often ask me have you any siblings and I'd have to explain and I'd be like yeah I have a sister and they'd be like oh you know she wasn't at your wedding or I never met her and then I have to get into that and I think now you know it it bothered me that people didn't know who she was and that she was this amazing girl with so much potential that never got to achieve it and now she's through me her life has meaning and she's created this huge impact and it's nice to sometimes go and see her with like an award or like with the book and to just leave it in her room because I know she's not even aware of what it is but I just like to like give those accolades to her and have them be part I know that sounds kind of strange but just you know to 
let her be a part of it. So she's she's not aware, but there's 25,000 girls all over Ireland who've heard her story and are hopefully doing better because of it. And that's like something I'm hugely proud of. And why girls then? I know you're a mum of boys and even schools have now begun to ask you, are you going to do something for the boys? But originally, was it because you were a girl and because that was the understanding you had? I think my teenage experience being such um, an influence on the woman that I became means that I get it on a level that, you know, I could do 10 years of a PhD and not get it on the level that I do. And I think I can connect with girls without them having to explain things to me because I do get it in that way and like there's no business or organization can can I think achieve achieve that in a non-organic way so because I was a girl and because that was my lived experience I think it has been able to affect decisions that I've made because my gut knows the answer before I academically know the answer um so it's that piece of being able to connect with girls because I think, you know, definitely gender is a spectrum and we're all individuals. But for the most part, we move through the world as girls differently than boys do. Um, like I have done workshops for mixed groups. I've done workshops for boys, but I just think there is a quarter of a million teenage girls in Ireland and that's enough to keep me busy. But having said that, I think there needs to be a show for boys now more than ever before. I've got two sons and a daughter. My sons are... 14 and 24 and my daughter is 17 and they have struggled and their friends have struggled and girl and boys schools are struggling to provide support now but I just don't think I'm the best person for that like I would certainly support it and you know give hand a whole model to somebody who I thought could come in and create that connection with them in the same way that I do with girls but I think it's just as simple like we need to have a conversation with boys about what's it mean to be a man what are masculine features what is strength how do we treat each other connect with each other um in the same way that we have that conversation with women like what does it mean to be feminine what does it mean to be a woman and and can we redefine that does it work for us and if not can we redefine it yeah and it's ultimately all part of the same conversation and where do you see the Shona project fitting with the way we're moving in some ways it feels like we're losing labels but in other ways we're gaining labels so Mm. you know we have non-binary transgender there are all different correlations and a lot of people who are saying I don't identify as a girl or a boy and and where does it fit in that and, and where does the messaging go there I have to be really cognizant of that conversation it's definitely something that we talk about a lot um anybody who wants to be a part of our community is welcome whether they however they identify um we have a group of ambassadors our our ambassador group has about 50 girls and we've got non-binary um people we've got asexual people like gay people bisexual people people with disabilities um people who grew up in other countries and in other cultures like and that's very very important to us we're very very inclusive but for the most part the world does recognize women and treat women in a different way and as long as that's the reality that's the problem that we're trying to solve so I think we're as inclusive as we can possibly be and we would never say no 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 to any person who wants to be a part of it we've done things like boys takeover weeks where we've had boys write content for us about their experience and I think it's definitely a conversation like we need more men to be involved in this conversation about how we bring up girls when we need more women to be involved in the conversation about how we bring up boys um but for now this is working and we're going to keep doing it the way we do it for the time being so what are the main issues that girls are facing that you're trying to work against or work with? So I think it's a bit of a perfect storm at the moment. And like we were here before COVID and as we come out of COVID, we're just seeing it's kind of frightening. You know what we're dealing with it was already an anxiety epidemic and now it's it's worse than ever before. So the main issue that we're seeing is anxiety um amongst teenage girls and that comes for lots of reasons the spike in anxiety and mental health issues happen at the same time as the spike in social media use and that's not a coincidence but social media is not going anywhere so you know we just have to use it to our advantage and just like not trying that telling girls not to be on social media is just a waste of time um i think there's a culture that exists amongst girls of that age where they're competitive with each other and where um they can be intimidated by each other and that's obviously when when the bullying starts but there's a lack of self-esteem which I think if I'm very honest a lot well look there's lots of different reasons but 
one of the one of the issues that I um, I've identified or that I've noticed is that as parents and as parents who love our kids and want what's best for them, we swoop in too quick to solve their problems for them um, and to take obstacles out of their way. And I think that what happens then is that young people don't know what they're capable of and they don't know what skills and they're not able to develop the schools, the skills so they don't have a level of tolerance for stress that maybe they would have otherwise so that's something that I I think that I'm certainly trying to do less of to solve their problems and be like okay let's come up with a solution together or you pick up the phone and make an appointment with your doctor or you fill in, in your CEO form or you know you go and ask for a job and you know make mistakes and I'll be here for you when you do those kind of things but I think the, the self-esteem, self-confidence issue is a huge one. And I think we are facing a tsunami of mental health issues in this country with our young people that will go on to those people being in the workforce in the next five or six years. And the knock on effect is kind of scary. And it's almost like a pendulum swing, isn't it? Because generations before when kids were, they say, thrown out the back door and you kind of came back for your dinner. Mm. So you were dealing with all of your own issues yourself and things were swept under the carpet and problems weren't spoken about. We've swung right the other way where we're in on top of every problem and issue that's going on. As you say, we're trying to move all those obstacles out of the way. So we need to just come back to somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and when we're doing workshops in schools and other summer schools and across the board, we talk about mindset a lot. So... And, and how we view negative situations. So when I'm talking to girls, I always say that everything that makes me good at my job now, I learned when things were hard. So like resilience, um, perspective, kindness, um, being self-assured, having tools, being able to speak up for myself, um, being able to set boundaries, all of those things I learned when things were hard. And it's really important that we have fun and communicate with our friends and have great days that are stress-free. But at the same time, to be able to view challenges, to see the some positives in the challenges that we go through and be able to say, what did I learn from that that I can now use going forward? You know, and certainly those things can break some people. And I would never wish anyone to go through any of the things that I've been through and that a lot of people that I know have been through. But they're not always negative completely, you know, so they're learning processes. And I think being able to identify those things means that, you know, it helps you heal. Um, and rather than every single thing just taking another chink out of your armor until you're eventually broken down that it helps strengthen you in some way so I'm careful how I talk about that but I definitely think that mindset on how we approach those things how we approach our relationships work ethic the people that we surround ourselves with so we talk a lot about influence and you know how the woman that you become is almost like a soup of the people that you spend the most time with and that's both online and in person and how important it is to think about what you're learning from those people because they influence how you feel about yourself how you treat yourself how you feel about the world the hobbies your careers music that you're into how you express yourself all of that comes from the people that we spend the most time with so just making them you know when I go back to being curious making them think about those things and make choices that benefit themselves in that way so there's there's a lot to be done and so much of it is actually simpler than we realize you know we really overcomplicate it which is heartening almost to hear but you're right again it goes back to mindset and giving young people that power to have that within to navigate through all the social media the life experiences the obstacles that are going to come and we talk a lot about toxic masculinity that whole bravado of having to be tough all the time and show no feelings and all that side of things and how damaging that has been but what do you think toxic femininity is? So I think when it comes to femininity and the toxic traits that we do have, I think it's um, trying to act like we're all perfect. You know, like we judge each other so much it goes from a young age up until, you know, even if you think as parents like, oh, you had a C-section or oh, you took the drugs when you had birth and oh, I breastfed. Oh, did you not breastfeed? And oh, I got back into my jeans within a week and oh, you're still holding the baby weight. You know, it's we're constantly like putting ourselves in a hierarchy and trying to keep up with each other in that way. Oh, I went back to work really quick and I work 60 hours a week and I work 80 hours a week and I have 10 kids and my kid got into trinity like it lasts forever and none of us admit you know i cried in the car on the way here or 
you know, I um I had a big row with my husband before I came here because over something stupid, like we constantly feel like we have to display this perfect life and this, you know, that we don't have problems and we don't struggle with the self-esteem. And, you know, every conversation that I have with people around my work, when you tell them where you come from and you admit that you don't know everything and that you you know you struggle and I have blazing rows with my daughter even though this is the work that I do you know then it gives them permission to do the same and that's when our relationships become more authentic with each other when we talk about what's really going on with us and then we learn from each other and we don't feel as alone so I think this that this rivalry and perfectionism is the detriment to women and as women we put a lot of self-worth into how we look and Mm -hmm. On the one hand, one of my previous guests was Pamela Uba, the current Miss Ireland. And we were actually talking about the judgment that she will get from joining something like that. And, you know, she's a medical scientist with a a, a master's degree. Just because she likes getting dressed up doesn't mean that she doesn't have more worth or substance. So there's somewhere in the middle because it does become your power play how you look is how you move through the world and we give so much power to that that sometimes it takes it away yeah and like i didn't grow up with the shonen project so this is so deep-seated in me where there's been periods where i've put on weight where i haven't gone to friends parties i haven't left the house because i'd have like a little bit more weight on or where you know i'd spend more time thinking about what I'm going to wear to go and give a presentation than I do about the presentation and this goes back to what being a girl means to you some of us like makeup I like wearing makeup I like fashion I like to you know dress a certain way for certain occasions where I feel comfortable and for me that's okay but there are other girls that don't want to wear makeup and they feel like they have to which means they're uncomfortable in their own skin and there's girls that want to wear converse and ripped jeans and you know, so so I think what if if you if you think about it, we see an, uh, between an average of six and ten thousand adverts every day. Like so, when you think about what that does to a fifteen-year-old's brain, and I ask them in workshops, how many ads do you think you see a day, and they'll say twenty, fifty. And when I say between six and ten thousand, like they're absorbing this message, and probably ninety percent of them show a very narrow view of what a woman should look like and how her life should be. And we're not highlighting the ones that don't fit that. So that's what we're trying to do is to try and disrupt social media and highlight women who look different or have different jobs or are focused on careers or who have disabilities or who are members of the traveler community. And that representation is really, really important. So if you think of the negative effect of those six to to 10,000 adverts a day, and if those six to 10,000 adverts had positive messages, what would that do to a young girl, you know? And what would that do to her subconscious and how she feels about herself? Um, so I think I think it's, it's a really powerful thing, these messages. And I think once you call it out, you can't not see it. Yeah, because I often think about how we are more inclusive now and we do talk more about stretch marks and weight and sometimes I have an issue with real bodies because you know just because you have stretch marks doesn't make you any more real that someone that's born with an athletic figure you know it's all it's all real but the main players on Instagram still look a certain way there's still an ideal a body ideal that's out there that's perpetuated again and again and again and even if you look at any of the magazine covers the showbiz content it's even talking about they're mad at the moment now about Kim Kardashian has lost 21 pounds. They're putting a number on it and they're not talking about the success of her businesses, how she's navigated in a relationship breakdown, how they're co-parenting their kids together. That's not the narrative that people want. People want to focus on the aesthetic and perhaps she's feeding into that. Oh, I mean, she definitely By is. taking all these photos like, and showing they, her body yeah, in that way. They definitely all are. But I noticed that even in the last week on, you know, social media and particularly in the Daily Mail, I think I've seen about five different articles saying Kim Kardashian flaunts 21 pound loss, weight loss in such and such a pair of leggings or whatever. Like it's the headline yeah. every single time. But I think um, I think that was really, really harmful, you know, for her 
appearance in that dress to have been defined by the weight that she lost to get there like would she have been less valuable if she had put up 21 pounds and worn something amazing to go there so I mean I have a complicated relationship with the Kardashians and the reality is they're some of the biggest influencers in the world but what 13 14 year old is looking at them and thinking for me to be in any way worthy I need to look like them when they don't even look like them in real life you know even with whatever surgery they've had then there's the filters and whatever else that's not reality um and you know girls think until i get there i'm not good enough yeah and look they're obviously girls caught in that same cycle they've had that messaging given given to them but you're right it's not it's not reality um but unfortunately that seems to be the message that's still creeping in and how much closer do you think we're getting to equality? I mean, at the time of, of recording this, Roe versus Wade has just been overturned in the mm-hmm. States and in several states, abortion has been banned and bodily autonomy is now not in, in question. It feels like a lot of, of steps back, regardless to how people feel about abortion. I think ultimately for me, equality, if, if I was to think about what I would want in terms of equality, and obviously there's lots of things, but I think people making decisions that affect us all, that's where we really need equality because that comes down to quality of education, which includes sex education and, and mental health support and all of that would be taking the female perspective into account. Um, I... Uh, in some ways I think we're a lot further on than they would have been I mean I've been so respected in my work and I I work in the social enterprise sector which is predominantly women um my board are 100% women I've been like I live in a bubble where I'm surrounded by inspirational women and I have so much support from inspirational women so maybe I'm not in the same place that I used to be but I I used to sit on panels um interview panels and I even noticed women coming in for interviews apologizing for taking up your time and men just approaching it differently so there's internal barriers to equality and there's external systemic barriers to equality we're looking at the internal ones and trying to address it before we get to career stage because i think it's too hard to reverse it and that's where we're trying to create impact and we're seeing that work but there's a lot of other things that need to happen as well obviously so you've had great success. I mean, tens of thousands of girls and some boys have gone through your programs. You've had a book. The Shine Festival is huge. Even during COVID, it moved online and had an incredible impact. So the message is getting through. How do you find or how do you navigate not getting overwhelmed that you're putting your message in, but still both you and I still picked up on Kim Kardashian in her yeah. leggings and her 21 pounds? How do you not feel like a David and, and Goliath? Um, I always focus on the positive. So I know that even in this interview, I have to explain how dire things are and I have to you know, acknowledge that, but I don't put my energy there. I put my energy on. Okay, last year we had a summer, or last week we had a summer school and we had a group of teenagers come in and 100% of the parents noticed a complete change in their daughters by the end of the week. That's where I put my energy and my time. And I'm like, okay, well, that's so many girls and next week I'll have so many more girls. And I just, I'm constantly focused on the impact. Um, I stay in my lane I can sometimes get overwhelmed, like, you know, with the boys thing. Oh, the boys need help too. Well, I have to have faith that somebody else is going to do that. I have only so many hours in the day and there's only so much that I can achieve. Um, I surround myself with really good people and I spend my days with really good people. So, you know, even having this conversation with you, I know that you get it. I know you're supportive of our work and you're giving us a platform. Um, and there's so many people like that that just see this as a movement for change as opposed to just a social enterprise or a non-profit organization. Um, and that is really, really good. And I've gotten to a stage now where I ask for help when I need it and I put my own well fair up front and center as a priority which I've never done before um and I'm just so heartened by the impact and by how much change is possible um and how much support that we have so I mean I never thought we would be where we are now I never thought we'd have a festival that's attended by 40,000 girls and have a million video loads in three days I never thought that um but it's just gained a momentum and I just have to keep up with it and that's my job and I just have to kind of mind mind myself 
Yeah, so that you can keep that power going and keep that momentum going mm. and, and avoid burnout because I'm sure, as you said, there's only so many hours in the day and you have your family to think about and your other interests and yourself to, mm. to think about. So are you quite good at, at setting boundaries? I think when the Shona project started, it just took off so fast that I felt that I had to keep up with it or it would stop. And I was like, okay, there's there's a certain momentum here, but in a month or two it'll calm down. And it's now six years later and it has never calmed down. So the I eventually had to realise, okay, I need to take a holiday and I need to switch off. It's like anybody else who's running a business, you know, you're constantly on. You don't finish at five o'clock um and shut the door. But I have to instill the values in myself and my team as well, by the way, because I have people who work with us. And I need to make sure that the values that we teach girls about self-care, putting them their own needs first, speaking up for what they need, I instill that in myself and the team, which is awkward when, you know, they come looking for raises and I know I've empowered them to do that. But, you know, I've <laughs> I've encouraged them to ask for what they need and to, you know, if they're anxious that they don't come to work anxious, that they just say, I need to take a little bit of time and that I'm instilling that in them and then trying to do it myself. So I've put much better boundaries in place around how many hours I work and what I take on because, you know, I can only take on so much and give an energy to things that um, contribute to our mission and are not like contributing to other people's missions, which I kind of would have done a bit out at the start. Um, and, you know, I I do the things that I try to encourage girls to do. So if I get overwhelmed or stressed out, I go to therapy and I put that hour in every week as a priority. I go to the gym religiously um, and that's time that I need because then I know I can do my job and be a parent better after that. And these are things that I would never have done before. Yeah. And make time for you, just you yeah. on your own with your friends not just all about work because it is as you say at the center you have to be putting yourself first not constantly giving 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 mm. to validate yourself which is one of the traits but of being i also a girl. have to acknowledge that i have the best job in the world like who gets to do what i do like it's the best crack i mean amazing girls i get to see change being made you know like i've been in jobs that i didn't care about so while i work very very hard like the rewards are huge and you know even in terms of my own self-esteem boosts and recognition that i get like who wouldn't love to do what I do? You know, I'm hugely lucky. I'm not a martyr to the cause at all. And it's meaning and purpose. You know, you found your purpose. Like your husband said, this is what you were supposed to be doing. Mm. And you'd had that feeling yourself. You just needed that one last little, little push. nudge. Yeah. And that's what gets you out of bed in the morning. And that's a real lifeblood. That's when you know you're in your flow state. Yeah. Where do you see it all going for the Shona project and, and for girls? Well, the resources that we have are always like three years behind the impact cre that we're creating. So one of the biggest stresses for us is like we have a team of three and we've achieved everything we've achieved in the last five years. We only had three since like, this April just gone. And before that, we have had two for a year before that. And before that, it was just me. And look what we've done. So what I'd love <laughs> for my own mental health is for it to be resourced properly and to be funded properly for, you know, government to see what we've done and that what we're doing works and you know for for us to not have to constantly be worried about how we're going to survive financially and how we're going to bring in extra resources to do the work that we do so that would be the dream for me I would love to see in a couple of years that we have two partner organizations that we have a boys arm and a girls arm and that we're supporting both and that we're also opening communication between both and making them more aware of each other and how each other works and how they could should treat each other um and that's for the organization i can we're growing so fast i can see us becoming the biggest organization of our type in in ireland in the future i don't think that's unrealistic at the the momentum that we currently have and then for me personally, you know, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I, I think that within another few years, it'll be time for fresh eyes to come in and to drive it in a new direction. And also, you know, when you're talking to young people, I've just turned 43 last week, which is absolutely ancient and decrepit to a 14 year old. So, you know, I, I'll eventually want to bring in a new set of eyes that are more in tune with with things and to maybe bring it in a different direction and um, to not live under this at this level of speed of work for forever but I don't think that's likely I mean I say that to my husband he laughs at me <laughs> I just fill it with more stuff 
it's just not who you are and as you have the mic i mean there have been important messages woven throughout this conversation but what would you say to to girls and I, I put myself in that category it's actually a really sad day isn't it when somebody says in the supermarket will you move out of the ladies way and you know you're not seen as a girl anymore mm-hmm. but ultimately we are all girls within regardless of what age we are what would you say to them um oh, oh that's a hard question because there's not one thing that's more important than another but I think that message of define what it means to be a woman for yourself and what you want your impact to be and what you value about yourself without yourself being valued based on other people's opinions or perceptions of you and to know who you are and that gives you a certain level of strength and grounding that you can take the other stuff a little bit more I think stop trying to be perfect because you're just going to fail you know you're just going to work your whole life to achieve something that you're never going to achieve and not to expect to have all the answers and not make make mistakes and just give yourself permission to figure things out in your own time I think that gives you space then to to um get to know yourself and be a little bit kinder to yourself and like there's all the things about being kind to others and and motivation and work ethic that I would build on that but I think that's really once you get that then everything else hopefully will come well it is incredible work you are doing and you have achieved so much at the Shona project I think it's incredible that you turned something so tough into something so positive and you're right for Shona there who couldn't live her potential you're allowing other girls to do so in her name I think it's really really incredible what you're doing and for more information on the Shona project including the Shine Festival and yes Tammy also wrote a book it's called You've Got This you can go to the show notes and I'll let you know how you can find out everything that's happening at the Shona project Tammy Darcy thank you so so much thanks Claire. Thank you for listening to Changemakers. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would love if you would take a moment to rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people to find the podcast too. Take care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.